everybody, Pastor Craig here, and as we begin our series in the book of Ephesians, um, you know, every once in a while, uh, I can get lost in the weeds a little bit on certain issues, and not everything needs a full treatment in the pulpit. The Sunday morning is a, is a place for us to, um, you know, to worship and uh, to really be encouraged and uh, to be challenged, and so not every kind of, you know, scholarly issue related to a book of the Bible is going to be um, treated on a Sunday morning, but we wanted to use this medium, uh, the the podcast, the cutting room floor, if you will, or in the weeds, or um, however we might, or geeking out, however you might call it, um, but uh, stuff that shouldn't really shouldn't make it into a sermon and is more for the classroom um, than the pulpit. So, Anyway, this is uh, just a chance for us to talk about the author and audience of Ephesians. Um, so the first line of Ephesians in any modern translation reads something like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so if you're reading that, you're like, well, hey, it, it, the apostle Paul wrote it to the people of Ephesus, period. Well, that was easy. <laughs> well, uh in the world of New Testament studies, things are rarely uh, so simple, and um, really the history and traditions that surround the oldest manuscripts of this book are pretty complex, and so I wanted to just talk through it a little bit for with you. You might have a footnote in your Bible um, about uh, a uh, that first those first couple of verses, and so I just want to um, talk through. Um, who this book was written to, and who wrote this book. Now, just to show my own position up front, and if you're like, I just want to know what Pastor Craig thinks about this, um, I can, I'll say this, and then you can turn off the podcast if you want, or you can listen through um, kind of the whole thing. But just to show my own position up front, I, I hold that, I do believe that the Apostle Paul is the author, so in agreement with um, the text of Ephesians, that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, um, but I also hold that he did not necessarily write it specifically to the church or churches in the city of Ephesus. So disagreeing with the above statement. Um, and I, my position is that he wrote it to the larger region of southwestern Turkey or Asia Minor or Asia, as it was called in Roman times, and that um, that, that region is um, is what is later called um, the seven churches of Revelation. Sort of that region is what we're talking about. So, so there's lots of different theories and ideas about all this, and I'll tell. Um, and I suppose we should we should kick this off with simply the question: Why would anyone doubt that Paul wrote this letter? And um, just so you know, right off the bat, um, not everyone who would doubt that Paul wrote the book is trying to throw shade or cast doubt on its contents or even lessen the canonicity or the inspiration of the book. Now, certainly there are some pretty um, skeptical New Testament scholars that are just trying to throw shade on pretty much everything um, that are very skeptical about traditions, um, but not all are. So th- there are some who actually hold to that that Paul did not write the book, but do hold to the canonicity and inspiration of the book of Ephesians, and I'm not trying to kick it out of the New Testament or anything like that. So why would anyone doubt that Paul wrote this letter? Okay, so there's a few reasons. There's actually four reasons, um, generally speaking. I'm going to just walk through them. So the first reason is this, is that um, the book of Ephesians is really not like any other letters that Paul wrote. So, um, uh, 
in in some ways, what Paul writes, what we have, are letters from him. And um, in some places, it does look like a letter. Like, for example, the first two verses were Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that looks like a address, a general address that is in almost every Pauline letter. Although most Pauline letters do have dual authorship, so like Timothy or Sosthenes or Silas are listed as co-authors. So this is actually listed as Paul as as a um, as the author, but in other places it really does not look like a letter. Um, it doesn't address any particular individual by name. It only mentions its carrier, whose name is Tychicus, and there are very few clues as to the occasion of the letter or the reason why the letter is being written. So, in so many other Pauline letters, like take for example First Corinthians. Like the occasion of the letter is pretty transparent if you read the letter. Like the Corinthians sent him a letter, they got a bunch of problems, and Paul's trying to address those problems, and it's very specific. The book of Ephesians doesn't really mention those problems specifically. It's much more general in that sense. And in that case, in that sense, um, the letter doesn't necessarily really look like a letter, but more like an essay where the author can kind of explore topics in more depth. Now, Paul will do this in other writings, like Romans is a good example, where he does address, he kind of, there's more of an essay, although at the end of the letter, he does mention a lot of people. Um, So at the same time, this is interesting too. So this this book really does um, bend the genre of letter. So you've got portions that look like a letter, portions that look like an essay, and then where you would expect like a section on Thanksgiving after the greeting, it gives way to a section on blessing or a barakah, which is more familiar with Jewish literature and liturgy. And um, and so <laughs> the, the book just kind of bends a number of genres. And um, there's actually a lot of liturgical notes that are struck in this. There's places where it talks about to the praise of his glorious grace, um, or even a full doxology in, in chapter 3, verse 20, or even a hymn in 514. It also includes household codes, doctrinal statements, exhortations, prayers, and even a commentary on an Old Testament quotation. So there are lots of genres that are represented in this particular um, book. And um, in that way, it doesn't necessarily look exactly like a letter. So, all right. Um, So first reason is it it just is very unique. It's not like any of the other letters that Paul wrote. Okay, so that would be one reason why someone might question whether Paul wrote it. Okay, um, reason number two is that there are some um, some theological differences or nuances from other Pauline letters. Like, for example, um, the word "church" in Ephesians is used to refer to the universal church, all churches in all places. Whereas in other Pauline letters, the word "church" or "ecclesia" is used only of local gatherings. The church in Rome, the church in Corinth, the church in um, uh, in whatever in Philippi. Um, also, um, the term terms like body and mystery, which are used in Ephesians, are used in different ways than they're used in other Pauline books. So, like the the term body is referring to something different, or the term mystery is referring to something different than it might in Colossians or in Romans. 
So that's another reason why. So familiar words that are that Paul might use are being used in different ways. Okay. Now, even as you're hearing these things, you might be like, well, look, there's there's good explanations for why this might be the case if Paul did actually write the book. So anyway, but these are reasons why people put forth that maybe Paul didn't write it. Okay. Third reason. Um, Ephesians can at times sound like it's written after Paul's day. So like after Paul has died. So for example, during Paul's life, you have this co- this conflict about um, Jews and Gentiles. And if you're Jewish, can you let Gentiles in? And if you're Gentile, do you have to take on the circumcision and food laws and Sabbath regulations? Um, like in Galatians, the in Galatians, it sounds like the, the Jew-Gentile thing is, is really um, ramped up, that it's a really a big issue. Um, but in Ephesians, it feels like it's settled, it's done. And he, like in Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, speaking of Jew and Gentile, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And um, a passage like that might make more sense if it's written after the destruction of Jerusalem and after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, whereas Paul will die in the late 60s, and um, Paul's Roman imprisonment when he presumably would have written Ephesians is um, ends in AD 62. So, um, so that's another thing, is that maybe it sounds like it's a little later. Okay, so that's the third reason. And then reason number four is that um, Ephesians and Colossians look maybe too much alike, in, in the sense that maybe Ephesians is dependent on Colossians, um, and they, they, look, they look very much alike. So about a third of Colossians, about 34% of the words um, of Colossians, is paralleled in Ephesians, um, which accounts for about one quarter of Ephesians. One quarter of Ephesians um, is real, looks like the book of Colossians. So Ephesians seems dependent on Colossians, and for those who argue that um, someone other than Paul wrote this book in Paul's name, that they would say that whoever does that is relying on Colossians as kind of a base to, to build off of. Now, um, so the question is, if, if Paul didn't write it, let's just go down this rabbit trail, even though I don't, I don't agree with this, but um, if Paul didn't write it, then who did? Okay. Now, for those who don't think that Paul wrote Ephesians, what they typically postulate is that uh, either a close associate or a disciple of Paul wrote the book in his name, either with his permission during his lifetime— um, or they write it after his death to honor him and carry on his legacy. Okay. Now, what this what this is called the practice of writing in a notable person's name is known as um, pseudepigraphy um, or pseudonymity. Pseudepigraphy, pseudo means false. Um, an epigraph or an epi- um, someone who is a, um, a, a an epigraph is a writing. So. Um, pseudepigraphy is a false writing, or pseudonymity, a pseudo-false, and a namos is a name, so in a false name. And so the, the practice of pseudonymity and pseudepigraphy, actually, we see examples of that um, in Second Temple Jewish literature. 
um, and in early Christian literature, or I should say later Christian literature, early like the fourth, fifth century, we do see examples of that where like in the Old Testament, you have a character like Enoch, um, who is this character in Genesis chapter six, who, you know, he lives a long time, but he's died. He's long since dead. But in the Second Temple period, you'll have um, Jews who will actually write a book in his name, like First Enoch, and it'll be this kind of kind of this fiction, this kind of apocalyptic fiction about the person Enoch and what it would have been like in his day and the visionary experiences he might have had, um, something like that. Or you might have the Testament of Abraham, not written by Abraham, but written in his name. It's a pseudepigraphal book. Um, and we do have examples maybe late, later in um, early Christianity of that. And so that's usually what is is put forth. If you want to read a more in-depth argument about um, pseudonymity and pseudepigraphy, I would recommend one of the commentaries that I'm using, although I don't agree with their view with his views on authorship and audience, um, is A.T. Lincoln's um, commentary on Ephesians in the Word Biblical Commentary series. His introduction provides a really good place where you can um, you can read that, and I can um, I can provide some copies or a PDF if anybody's interested in that. Um, so all that to say, um, those are the arguments uh, really uh, for or against the idea that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. Now, I, I don't hold to that position. I suppose one particular reason why I don't hold to that, to the idea of pseudonymity or pseudepigraphy, is, um, is for one, <laughs> Paul in 2 Thessalonians, um, he actually writes to say, hey, if someone else writes in my name, like, don't believe them. Like, he's actually, he seems like he's against the idea of pseudonymity. He doesn't like the idea. Um, and so I, I think that that would be a strange thing for a disciple of Paul, a close disciple of Paul, to take up the pen in his name when Paul himself has written that he doesn't really like the practice. So um, also I, I do I would recommend um, uh, D.A. Carson has written a, a uh, an essay in the Dictionary of Paul and his letters about pseudonymity and pseudepigraphy, um, and he basically says that early Christians um, really did the earliest followers of Jesus didn't practice pseudonymity. So anyway, all that to say, like I said, we're in the weeds and I know if you're still listening at this point, like God bless you because we have we've really gone into the weeds and we've talked about some things that might have been might be a little uncomfortable. Um so uh let me change gears here and talk a little bit about um uh the destination of Ephesians and then I'm going to I'll wrap the whole thing up with giving my kind of an overall view of my view of who is writing this, why they're writing it, um, and where they're writing it to. But the second thing about this, so all that to say is I do believe that Paul wrote it. I think that all those reasons can be um, can be answered um, with with a with a reasonable theory. Actually, I think a more a more um, a plausible theory than pseudonymity. Um, but there's a second issue, and that is this. Um, why would we question whether this was written primarily to the city of Ephesus? Doesn't it say from Paul to the Ephesians, to the saints in Ephesus? And the answer to that is, well, in the earliest manuscripts, um, the, the words in Ephesus are not present in the earliest manuscripts. So the earliest manuscript that we have of the, um, of the book of Ephesians is what is called the Chester Beatty papyrus or uh, P46. 
And um and it was written um it's copied down um in the early what is it the early either the late 2nd century or the early 3rd century. So in the late like 180s, 190s or in the early 200s is when this is from, which is which is awesome. I mean these are that is an amazing um <laughs> that's a very early papyrus and half of that is in Ireland and half of that is in Michigan because um it was it was sold on the black market we don't know exactly where it's from it's probably from Egypt somewhere in Egypt um but this manuscript is super old and um Egypt's a great place if you want to bury manuscripts and and uh, preserve them over time because it's very dry um anyway again in the weeds here um also some of the best manuscripts that we have um things like there um, there's a couple of codexes, codices, um, these books. One was found in a monastery at the base of Mount Sinai, um, and uh, it's called Codex Sinaiaticus, um, and it's from like the 3rd century, 3rd um, and 4th century. And then there was a, um, another manuscript that was um, ironically found in the basement of the Vatican, because uh, the Vatican—anyway— the va- Latin was the language, the, the Vulgate was what was used by the Roman Catholic Church, and during the time of the Reformation, um, when they went back to original languages, um, they were like, hey, we found this manuscript in the basement of the Vatican, like, and it's in Greek, Like, let's check it out. So that's called Codex Vaticanus, and that's about 3rd, 4th century AD as well. Now, both of those, which are really reliable manuscripts, they do not have the words in Ephesus in the manuscript that that is by the way what we just did is what we call um, textual criticism it's taking and comparing all the manuscripts that we have and um, asking what do they say so so all that to say that the words in Ephesus are are um, were probably not or at least they're not in the earliest manuscripts now they could have been removed or they could have been added at a later date. That's the question. Like, is the question is, does it make more sense that in Ephesus is removed, or does it make more sense that in Ephesus is added at a later date? So, unfortunately, it's difficult to know exactly what happened, whether they're removed by a copyist or whether they're added at a later date. Um, but all that to say is that um, there's a couple things about why I don't think this book is written specifically to the city of Ephesus, and um, only, alone. Um, And that is that the author actually says that he does not know the readers personally. So in 115, he makes mention that he has only heard of their faith. He says, "I because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love toward the saints. Um, And and that would be a little weird if, if if, because in Acts— in Acts chapter 19, Paul arrives in Ephesus, and he spends a few months in the synagogue, and then he spends two years renting out the school of Tyrannus. And then in chapter 20 and 21, when he's coming back to Jerusalem, um, and he meets the elders of the city of Ephesus in Miletus, uh, uh, some miles south, on the beach and in the, on the piers, they weep together because they're so close and so intimate— and it wouldn't make any sense if Paul is writing specifically to Ephesus that he doesn't mention any names. Like, he knows so many people in the city of Ephesus. And so um, this idea that he had only heard of their faith, or that they had only heard of Paul in three in three in in chapter 3, verse 2, um, it talks about how they had only heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to him. And so... Um, 
in that way, it, it seems a little bit strange that um, uh, that Paul that that this would have been written to Ephesus particularly. Now, what does that mean? Um, is there any way to make any sense of all of this information um, in it with another theory? And I think a lot of these things that either argue against Pauline authorship um, or that that really disparage um, the the Ephesian destination. Um, does any is there any way to make sense of this? And so this is the way that I view this, and a number of scholars will view it this way: is that um, the reason why Ephesus doesn't make mention of any particular people per se is that Paul is writing it as an intentional encyclical in other words he's writing it intentionally to be circulated regionally and if he writes something like that something to be circulated regionally then the lack of personal greetings would make sense that a letter traveling to all these gatherings of the followers of Jesus they may or may not have known Paul and it wouldn't necessitate a personal greeting it also wouldn't necessarily privilege any particular city or any particular person in this. And so the idea that this would be a regional encyclical makes sense. Now, I would also argue, so the question is, what region What region would this be? And this is where I think the similarity to Colossians, we hadn't mentioned this so far, but um, or we did mention it, that Colossians and Ephesians are, are very similar. And the similarity to Colossians would give some sense that the issues being addressed in Colossae, which is near Laodicea, Laodicea, Colossae, Hierapolis, these are all within about 12, 15 miles from each other. Um, the similarity to Colossians gives us that some sense that the, the issues being addressed in Colossae are similar to the issues being addressed in Ephesians. So even if the letter is not addressed specifically to Ephesus, okay, um, that Ephesians is part of the regional network of the cities that are notable in southwestern Turkey, or what we also might call the seven churches of Revelation. If you start with Ephesus, which is the major port, third largest city in the Roman Empire, the largest city of the region, you go north from there, you hit Smyrna, you go north from there, you hit Pergamum. All of these would have been kind of coastal cities. So you start moving inward, inland, um, you move to Tyatira, then south from there is Sardis. Further southeast from there is Philadelphia. Further southeast from there is Laodicea, as well as all the churches or cities in the Lycus River Valley, like Colossae and Hierapolis. These are all these these three cities are all, like I said, very close to each other and would have been interdependent. But all of these cities would the seven churches of Revelation, if you will, form essentially a trade route, a, a trade loop. They are networked together. They're only within a couple days' walk of each other. Um, these would have been a regional network of churches that would have really been this this region of Asia. Um, the southwestern Asia Minor, um, Turkey. When Paul is in Ephesus, it says that all of Asia heard the gospel. It's probably this idea that Ephesus would have been this hub from which Paul was working. People would have been coming in from all of these cities and then going back to those cities. Someone like Epaphras in Colossae, who brings the gospel to Colossae, even though the Apostle Paul probably had not been to Colossae, um, he then uh, that Epaphras would have been that person, and Paul mentions him in not only um, Philemon, but also in uh, the book of Colossians. So 
all of these would have been that regional area. And so you add to that the similarity to Colossians, as well as the fact that tradition um, really lands er early, fairly early, within decades after Paul's death, um, the Ephesian tradition that this book is addressed, is kind of landed in Ephesians, that you have lists of um, books that would have been in the canon, early early canonical lists, and there is an Ephesians in there, and this book is notable, noted to have been part of the Ephesian region, if you will, even if not the city of Ephesus. So, so since Ephes since Ephesus is part of that regional network, it seems natural that um, Ephesians still is a is a reasonable title for the book. And that probably at a later time that gets solidified by the addition of the of the words in Ephesus at in chapter one verse one. So you have one other issue that um, that plays into all of this: um, the idea of an encyclical letter that Paul writes, probably from his Roman imprisonment. The mention in Colossians four sixteen of a letter coming from Laodicea. Um, so in, in Colossians 4.16, and I'll read this um, for us, in Colossians 4.16, he says, And when this letter has been read among you, speaking of Colossians, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see to it that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so you, you have this, this notion that Paul writes to the Colossians, and he says, okay, read this, and then let let the Laodicean churches also hear this letter too. And then there's also this kind of mysterious thing that there's also been this letter that has been written to the Laodiceans that is going to then be read to the Colossians. And whether or not this is a letter that is written specifically to, La to the Laodiceans or whether the letter coming from Laodicea is this encyclical, like this, this, this circulated letter, like in Ephesians, whether that is Ephesians or not, I think it's possible, I actually think it's plausible that Ephesians is that letter coming from Laodicea. So um, there's some people who, who believe that and believe that Ephesians is actually written to Laodicea. Um, I take the position that Ephesians is a circular letter that is written regionally, but will eventually make it to Laodicea, and once it does, Colossae and Laodicea are to swap letters. But this also gives you some sense of... Um, kind of the practice of the earliest followers of Jesus, if they receive a letter from a notable apostle or leader, that it might be copied and kept locally, um, and the copies be sent out to other churches. So that, and that's what we start to see when in the beginnings of the, of the canon, is that these letters start to circulate, get copied and circulated. Um, and that then is what we would have in this situation, so uh, essentially, I think that I think that um, I actually would hold that um, the Book of Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians are all on the same occasion. This is this is again, we're getting speculative here, and I always want to be careful about this. You always have to um, uh, be careful about speculation, but um, I do think it might make sense that, like Onesimus, the the slave in Philemon, in the Book of Philemon. Uh, is in Rome. He meets Paul. He's converted. Paul says, "Hey, we got to send you back to um, to Philemon because we don't want to keep you by compulsion. We got to do the right thing here." So he sends him back with Tychicus, and they're carrying. They're, they're, so Paul writes then the letter of Philemon, as well as Colossians, to go to Colossae. And while he's at it, he writes, "Hey, maybe we should let's do this. When you go there, drop this one off in Ephesus." 
tell them to circulate it in the region, um, and then uh, go to Colossae, drop off Philemon, the book of, of Col- and the letter to the Colossians. Um, eventually, that book, Ephesians, is going to make its way around to Laodicea, which is then will be shared with the Colossians, and that's then why you have the similarities between Colossians and Ephesians, because Colossians is written for the situation in Colossae, whereas Ephesians is written more generally to the situation, the general situation of the region of the seven churches. All right. So that's basically the way I'm coming at it. Just if you want to know, like for me, um, as we work through the book of Ephesians, I, t- I tend to work off of, um, I use three commentaries whenever I preach through a book. Um, I like to use one that's a little bit more of a critical commentary, so that's where I'm using A.T. Lincoln's Word Biblical Commentary. I'm trying to get my hands on a Marcus Bart's um, uh, commentary in um, the Anchor Bible um, series, um, but it's expensive and it's two volumes, and so I'm, I'm debating uh, whether or not I'm going to do that. The other two... Vol- the other two um, commentaries that I'm using. I'm using um, Klein Snodgrass's, what a great name, Klein Snodgrass, um, in the NIV application commentary um, in, e- in Ephesians. And then um, there's an IVP New Testament commentary series, um, Walter um, Leefield, and um, that's another one that I'm using um, in this. So if you want to know where all this stuff is coming from, you can look at that. Um, both Snodgrass and Leefield um, do hold to... Um, uh, to Pauline authorship and, um, and this idea of an encyclical um, circulated letter. So anyhow, that's, a, that's, the, that's in the weeds for the week, um, the author and audience of the book of Ephesians. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys on Sunday.